All right, let's, uh, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for this life before you and what it is to seek your face and to have that face smile upon us. We'd ask you to bless us this morning. In your son's name, amen. <clears throat> We're in three psalms, three psalms in order. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that the psalms are supposed to play out in order and that the context of being in order is supposed to make you think of them together. It just as I was reading through the Psalms, interestingly enough, I was, started reading with the one Brian read this morning, back at Psalm 5 this morning, and, and ended up around 15, 16. Um, and I started thinking that I was going to begin with Psalm 13, but then I, got, I needed to go as far as 16, just wasn't room, and so something had to go, and 13 went. And I don't want you to feel at all threatened by three psalms. It's Bible, for heaven's sake, people. It's probably good for you. But there are different themes in each one of them. They're not talking directly about the same thing. You'll recognize some portions of them quoted in the New Testament. But I, wanna, I was thinking a bit about uh, what we talked about last couple of weeks out of Titus. And in Titus, there was a description of the life that you should be recognizing in yourself. I was trying to get you to stop thinking about the list as a set of commands for you to go try to pretend you look like, but a description that you're supposed to look like. In other words, this should describe you. This should, and I, we called it making you the best of people. There's a bestness of life that is had because of what Christ has done in your life. Now, after, you know, maybe a, a, I don't know what happened last Sunday, things um, went on, you enjoyed your life, you went home, you watched TV, you worked in the yard, whatever you did. Maybe meditating on how, yes, in Christ this is the best of lives, the love that I have for um, the people around me, the circumstance, the righteousness, whatever it is that is God is doing in you. But then you've got to work on Monday morning and realize, no, the world is a wicked, wicked place. The, uh, the sound is being adjusted as we speak, or as I speak. And I want you to always realize that just because you have this almost nihilistic uh, apprehension of life and you, you look at the people you work with the people you live next to you see the evil men do to men you listen to any politician of any party for any length of time you want to put a bullet in them or in yourself or it's awful the world is awful and I wanted to as as and sunlight streaming through the church windows, a heated room, people going to Hawaii. And you can, yeah, you can dodge that for a little bit. But as you become aware um, of the unshakable, you might say, despair that the state of this world would put you in if you just measured it, 
That's what a Christian, we're not Pollyanna, no offense. I always have to apologize to Glenda whenever I say Pollyanna, because she says, it's a good book. But you know what you think of when you, when you say the name Pollyanna, the sort of naive cluelessness about bad things. Just because the world is awful. We did not say last week, life is the best. You know, just, just have this Walt Disney view of things. Life's the best. Everything's possible with you. Life is not the best. But in Christ, this life, this is the best of life. You're standing in a place where only the best can stand. Not because you're special, but because the grace of God is special to work out the best that life can give you. Now in the next life, even more. But in this life, the best of life. That no matter what happens, not because you get rewarded and you win the lottery or whatever else, you, you get the best job or the best looking girl likes you. No, that doesn't make you because you're the best. You can have all the reverse happen to you. But you have the best of life. Now, when I was looking at these psalms, um, you'll recognize that first verse. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none that does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any that act wisely, that seek after God. They have all gone astray. They are all alike corrupt. There is none that does good. No, not one. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. There they shall be in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would confound the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that deliverance for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fullness fortunes of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, Israel shall be glad. Now, some people have a real stark view of this, but I don't know how you can have a not stark view. He says, people say there is no God. They're just abominable. Their deeds match their philosophy. God looks down to see if anybody is, is doing anything right. Seeking wisdom, seeking God. No, they're corrupt. They have no knowledge. They harm the righteous. Now, you might not take, some theological persuasions say, there is none righteous, no, not one. This is an argument for total depravity. Now, it may, you know, you could take it that way, that every thought and imagination of everyone's hearts is only evil continually. You could, you could view that, kind of a specified usage of this passage. But even if you don't have a specified usage of this passage, even if you... Um, sorry, back away from the mic even more. We're cool. Um, even if you don't have a, a claim about every act of every human being on earth ever is always evil, um, you still got to come up with a sum total that's huge. You still have to say, it's not a pretty world. 
It's a world that all the futility in it is because of man's sinfulness. God subjected the world in Romans 8. He says he subjected the world to futility. Decay and death. Everything bad that happens is not because God isn't good. It's because we're not good. It's that bad. All the cancer, all the war, all the disease, all the death, all the falling downstairs, whatever it is. Everything, every accident happening, every malevolent uh, collapse, entropy, those things um, is because of our sin. So even if you don't take this as a claim about every act of man is always evil, you're going to take it as, well, in that overstatement, he's going to claim that pretty much every act of man is sin. It's not a very cheery view that we have here. And that's why David, when he gets to the bottom, says, oh, that deliverance for Israel would come out of Zion. When, when you make suggestions last week that the, that the life of um, the Christian makes them the best of people, the life of the Christian makes them the best of people, you want people to be wise about this. You don't, again, want them walking through life thinking it automatically makes them the best of people. Or what does the best of people mean in reference to what, in the world of what? Now we know that this kind of notion of man, you go into Romans, you go into any other parts of the New Testament, you're going to see the same assessment of where man is, what the state of the world is. You see it in Christ. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are they that go therein. And narrow is the way to life, and those that find it are few. So how do you, part of how you deal with being made into the best of people, the best thing that God could make of a man and a woman before him. If their heart's right, their love right, their joy right, their peace right. Is knowing you're living in a world that seeks to harm it. That is swirling around it with calamity, with folly. Just saying, there is no God and acting in accordance with it. Now you know that if you've ever been in an apologetic situation where the sinner says... The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And then he acts corruptly. It's no surprise, because you know that any time you deny the existence of a judging agent out of sight of man, man sort of feels all bets are off. All you have to do is have a power outage in New York City and count how many TVs get stolen. All because people wanted those TVs and wanted to steal them for a long time, but the lights weren't out. As soon as the God, in their mind, the police department of New York City can't get to it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. So we know that that's the case. That's how they got to where they are. But you have to accept that that's where they are. They are holding the notion that God doesn't exist. They are holding the notion that God doesn't exist. It protects the calamity they live in. It protects the chaos they live in. But for us, we're looking at it and going, what an awful situation. God's looking down on it and going, this is awful. Yeah. 
the things that is warning them of is there shall be a great terror for God is with the generation of the righteous. Verse 6, the Lord is the refuge of the poor. There's a the beginning of understanding of where you should stand in regard to a, a realistic measure of things. The world's a bad place. It's going to Hades in a handbasket. You're in the middle of it. It's killing you too. Not only is it killing you, but the people that are righteous, truly righteous, are going to be persecuted by most of the world. Because they don't like righteous people. You're going to, that's one of the hardest things to accept. Is that when you try to be truly holy, you are stepping on the toes of most everybody. Because they're not actually trying to be truly holy. They're trying to be good for whatever advancement they'll get out of it. Social respect. But they've got sins they want to preserve. And you start having any kind of statement of holiness around them. Even if you're not pointing it at them, they don't like you. But God is going to be their terror, and you are going to find a refuge in him, and there's a deliverance coming from Zion, at least one hoped for. Oh, that deliverance for Israel would come out of Zion. Now, that, I want you to sort of package, as you go out and create your life philosophy, and each one of you, I'm sure, spends time with coffee in the morning, sitting on the deck, looking out over the Palouse, going... What is my philosophy of life? Well, do it this Monday, okay? Get some coffee, get out there, and, and, and work out what, how you think, how you look out of your eyes. You, you're not trying to claim that the whole world is going to be made Christians and all be made and fixed and, and, and Jesus is going to make it all better, or you don't have to pay attention to those things. God pays attention to this. The righteous pay attention to this. The unrighteous pay attention to the righteous in a not in a pretty way. Understand what you're getting from God. The terror rising of the ungodly, refuge and deliverance. Psalm 15 is a much more positive psalm. What was promised at the end of 14 in the deliverance, that there would be gladness and joy, is what you have to expect out of your God in spite of this. Not because this will change on earth, but because your path will change on earth. Where you go, what you seek, how you become something, you have the deliverance. Whatever's promised out of Zion, you have it. And therefore, you have gladness and joy. You know those moments. Uh, de- what's my son? Gun. Gun was reading a, some meme thing on the internet of people sharing their, their worst memories of dads being dads. And uh, there's one. It, 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 for some reason, young people, and you know, I despise them, um, young people can't stand dads being dads whether it's their pajamas or the way they scratch themselves or, or what it is, our jokes, um, our very dated fashion. 
how we all look alike. We all have Levi 550s with gray beards um, and we're about 50 pounds overweight. But there was one that, that he read to us where a kid heard his father sitting on the deck looking at the sunset. And what did he say? What a country. To himself, out loud. Somehow that bothers a, a, uh, a young person that you'd have a sense of the greatness you live in. But I want you to think in terms of these things to find out if the measure of your existence in Christ is registering with you that even if your child heard you say it and was just ashamed that they heard you, going, this is the best of lives. Not just the best of cup of coffee that you ever had or the best sunrise or sunset or whatever it is, but as you meditate on what you have in Christ, you have concluded, you have found the best. Not that the world got better. Not that calamity won't happen to you. Not that your parents won't die. Not that your spouse won't die. Or you won't die on your spouse. All of that's going to happen. I don't know if you haven't picked up on it, but 6,000 years of it happening is a pretty good you know, piece of evidence. I want you to find that sacred place where your mind can appreciate the truth of the wickedness of this world and the truth of the refuge you have in Christ. O Lord, Psalm 15, who shall sojourn in thy tent? Who shall dwell on thy holy hill? There is a place as I was looking, I don't think this is what it's saying in the sense of find a holy place or find a, a hilltop or find a... But there is a set-apart place of holiness that you should be wondering if you have access to. Who shall dwell with God in the holy place? This is back when it was the tabernacle. There was no temple built. It was a tent. And David's wondering who gets to... Who gets to live there with God? Ever a... I have a... I have a... I don't know how to admit this to you guys. A gut. Okay? Now, you may not have seen me in profile. Now you have. Okay, now... The center of the earth is right somewhere down that way. And everything you drop, okay? What's the, anybody learn about gravity? And don't give me this nonsense about gravitational waves. I don't care. If I drop this pen, it will plummet toward the center of the earth. If I dropped it from here, it would bounce off my gut and then plummet to the center of the earth. And if this was not a pen, but French fries dipped in fry sauce, there'd be a stain on my shirt. I say this because my wife has to go out with me to restaurants, and I actually choose my shirts to disguise what's going to happen. Okay? I am planning on the airline tomorrow, because I'll be sitting down if I have a snack or a juice or anything like that, whatever 
happens, I would rather have a patterned colored shirt so that you could, because of this, it's just going to be a big spot of ajou right here, you know. That's, that's what I, I, I live with, my wife lives with. And I have to be really conscious, because yesterday we were invited over to someone's house for dinner. And I was getting a little peckish because we hadn't had any lunch. And so I went and got a little thing of snack thing of uh, mandarin oranges that I got from Costco. And I'm standing there. My wife is being busy in the kitchen. And I'm standing there opening it up. And it proceeds to eject all of the high fructose corn syrup onto my front. I had to change my shirt and my undershirt before we could go anywhere. Now, why did I change? These are friends. They know me. They know I'm stained continually. Um, well, because you want to be polite. If you want to be in the presence of the best of life, if you want to have access to the holy place, to the place that God is at, just as if you were visiting somebody very important and your wife pointed out to you, you have a stain on that shirt. You wouldn't go, ah, oh, they don't care, it's only the queen. You would change. You would, you would go get another shirt. You would make sure that your quality matched. In this world where everything's a train wreck, everybody's lives, all the folly of everybody, everybody designing their own lives and making a mess of it, all the political systems. That you, you, you'd think that grown adults after 6,000 years of trying to run governments would have figured something out, but no, they haven't. And that's because regular people haven't figured out how to run their own lives. They can't get up in the morning, they can barely tie their shoes. They walk out and they make decisions as if they knew what they were doing. And you know one of my mottos, you're too dumb to run your own life. And if you want the gladness, if you want the best of life, you've got to say, if I'm going to be invited to that rare place, if I'm going to have the right to stand in that rare place where the best of life is, I'm going to look at my shirt, look at the stains that are on me, and deal with it. Now what happens here in Psalm 15, who shall dwell, and then it tells you what they wear. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth from his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his friend, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Go back over those things. In a situation recently where I was counseling a person who was having a hard time with their friends because their friends were pretty much all wicked. But the Christian was being bothered by the rejection the wicked were throwing at them. Didn't have any friends who feared the Lord. Had collected all these friends, you know, back in high school, back when everybody still believed because you were in a Christian home, you were a Christian kid, you know. Then you found out in college, you know, kind of not. And you found out about your friends, they're kind of not. But they're still your friends. But the problem is, now... 
the distinction is there between those who seek God and those who don't. And you start getting messed over. If I want to dwell on God's holy hill, I need to have the right opinion of the wicked. I need to seek those, honor those who fear the Lord. It doesn't create calamity. Another situation I'm in, counseling-wise, because when you're a pastor, you get that privilege. Um, Someone who just seems to be set on creating calamity. Everything they enter into is to increase the disarray, the the discord, the, 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 the bad feelings between people. And I don't usually hit girls, but I wanted to. You know, just paste her one. Because she was a bad person. I mean, I didn't. I really I didn't hit her. I don't hit anybody. So if you want to ever come for counseling, I don't hit. <coughs> Leslie holds me back. Look at this person. This person stands in a world, Psalm 14, that nobody has acted wisely, none have sought knowledge, they're all evildoers, they're alike, all alike corrupt, and this person is standing there, I'm not even lending money out at interest, because, you know, I'm not about that. You ever be tempt, have you ever been tempted to lie? You know, when you're tempted to lie, and this is a political season, so we get to see a lot of it, The lying that goes on is the same situation that where you lie. And you should not, by the way. Honesty is not you going, as you say, Katie came up to me afterwards. You say, Pastor, I didn't catch your name. What's your name? And I say, I'm an honest man. My name is Evan B. Wilson. Nobody goes, oh, great, great. Good to see you're an honest man. He admitted the positive or the neutral thing he was. Honesty matters when you're admitting the awful thing. When you are frank about your own demerits. When you know that people are going to think worse of you, that's when you're honest. It's not when, yes, I, I do have a vertical leap of... Why, yes, I am a four-point student. Oh, good for you. You're very honest. No credits. Honesty counts when it's obvious you don't in the situation. And who swears to his own hurt and does not change. When you realize to tell the truth would hurt you, cost you something. Now, those are, these are all individual things. I made a comment about a little few of them on the side. There's no, you're not no blame. There's true. You don't malign or cause, create calamity. You don't seek negatives to believe and say. You know the difference. Ever know Christians who can't seem to tell the difference between wickedness and righteousness? You're supposed to have, what's this is, 
despise the reprobate and honor those who fear the Lord, you should know the difference, and not your difference between them, God's difference between them. You're agreeing with the Lord on the difference. You know the difference, and you agree with the Lord on the difference. Honest where honesty matters. And you're not all about your advancement in this world. And you can actually think of letting someone use your money without charging them interest. You certainly don't find yourself susceptible to being bribed to decide a bad decision. Now that's an Old Testament psalmist, you know, David's view of a good man. That doesn't have everything in it. But it's describing the best kind of person. What the Holy Spirit's trying to make out of you as a Christian, what you came to Christ to become, that's the description of it. The description of the person who has not become that, who is saying there is no God, you have said there is a God, your God, when you became a theist, God loomed over the horizon and started making judgments. You should have known this was going to happen. Because atheists say there is no God in order they can be free of your moral constraints. They're only moral where they like morality. They don't have any argument for it. As soon as you've said, God is God, you might not know who the God is, but you know that the God matters to your morality. It matters to your state in his world. So when we have these two choices, Psalm 14 and Psalm 15, one of the calamitous, one of the fools, no God. The fear of the Lord, the gracious life, the best of people. Psalm 15. Psalm 16 is the choice. Preserve me, O God, for in thee I take refuge. It promised that refuge back in verse 6 of Psalm 14. It promises the deliverance from Zion. It promises the terror on the unbeliever. I say to the Lord, thou art my Lord. And break that apart. You've heard me say enough times, I hope it becomes a habit. When the Lord, Lord is all in caps, that's the tetragrammaton, that's the name of God. I... I, I, I I don't mind the use of Lord, but it doesn't convey what's going on. This says, I say to Yahweh, thou art my Lord. The second Lord is not. It's probably just Adonai or something like that. He is saying to a particular God, thou art my Lord. I have no good apart from thee. As for the saints in the land, they are noble, in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. This is why I'm saying this is about the choice. You're going to make a choice between the popular kids club and uh, kind of the rejected but standing with God. But those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Their libations of blood I will not pour out nor take their names upon my lips. The Lord, Yahweh, is my chosen portion and my cup. Thou holdest my lot. 
When you make the choice, you are making a choice not merely of truth and falsehood, not merely of good and bad, but I want you to be thinking, because you're already probably thinking truth and falsehood, if you any kind of philosophic apologetic about the nature of atheism or the nature of arguments for other gods. Um, and you know it's about sin, because your sins got forgiven in Christ. That's why Christ died. You know all that. I want you to add to that the best life versus the worst life. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup thou holdest my lot. Verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. You get the best of life by being the best of people and you get the more you're choosing to get the most of life with the most of the people. Everybody else, the most of the people, and you know when you get this feeling on you of wanting to fit in desperately, and the commercial dangles it in front of you, if only you had this glitter makeup. Please, ladies, do not wear glitter in your makeup. Not that I would punch you or anything, but whatever the trend is, you know, you're responsive to it, and again, some of that's just innocent, so just good to wear something, might as well look good. But you know the people that are caught up and trying to be accepted to them, their only security is if the crowd of people is exactly like them. Their folly is bound up together. We're foolish together. You'd think some guy sitting down in the middle of a uh, Occupy Wall Street uh, protest. I, I don't know if their nasal senses fail them, but if anybody walks into an Occupy Wall Street encampment outside of, you know, Wall Street, New York City, they're hit with a wall of stench. Because, frankly, it's a bunch of hippies who don't bathe. Now, you might, you might have a, a sympathy for their worldview or what they're but you would have figured out that something was calamitously wrong in this situation. It was telling you, this is the Middle Ages. No indoor plumbing. Some people stop even noticing the calamity that is life. They think it is normal in their families to fight. <coughs> it is not normal, it's average. The best people don't fight because they're loving other people. They're rejoicing with other people. They're not doing things to the other person's hurt, to their calamity. For the best of people, their lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. You're noble. Versus sorrowful. The noble get this best of life. You choose Yahweh. The noble get this best of life. Noble of kind, not noble of rank. And the rest of people who choose other gods get sorrows. Pleasant places. I want to, I want to reassure you that I, I, I don't say we're not a health and wealth sort of 
church. We're not, people say, you know, if you, if you follow Jesus, you'll win the lottery, or you'll, you'll get a great job, and you'll make six figures by the end of, you know, now. You could be homeless. You get fired from your job. You could get put to death for being a Christian. But you know, the best of life, you will be standing in that as the, one of the best people, knowing you're the best people. Not better than others in a self-righteousness way, like I'm better than you, I'm nice, you're not. Not that sort of thing. But nice people being nice. Gracious people being gracious. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Thou holdest my lot. Choose other gods, you get X. Choose this god, you get Y. Pleasant places, goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. The same promise at the end of Psalm 15. He who does these things shall never be moved. This is not just does God grant you a, a, a blessing. Do you understand? Some of you know what it is to be poor. And uh, frankly, it's not a great gig. But you also know what it is to be walking in the light as he is in the light and be poor. It can be a blessed existence. You can be middle class and a blessed existence. You can be wealthy and a blessed existence. The blessed existence is from the Lord giving you counsel, your heart instructing you, the Lord always before you. That's who you love. You've heard me say before that love is turning your face toward and hate is turning away from. And this is your Lord. You have turned your face toward him. To the degree, that's why you're here in the morning on Sundays. You're seeking God. You want to put your face toward God. Look at the scriptures. Therefore my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also dwells secure. I like that. Windows 3 in red. My heart, my soul, my body. For thou dost not give me up to Sheol, nor let thy godly one see the pit. Thou dost show me the path of life. In thy presence there is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, some of you are going, hold it. Where? What? Hold it. You recognize that. Back in Psalm 14, it said, God is their terror for those who are ungodly. The refuge of the righteous and deliverance would come out of Zion. Our hope was deliverance would come out of Zion. The best of the things of God, the seeking of God, would find in God a holy place to be that would make your life the best, make you the best of people, the kind of people God wants on his planet, and not be moved from that situation. If I choose that, there's the two worlds, and I have chosen that, in Psalm 16, looking at what happens when they choose something else, either no God or other gods, and pleasant places have arrived in your life, and you're glad, and you rejoice, 
and you're secure. But we're not, we're not just a philosophy about how to have uh, a well-adjusted person in life. If only, if you will follow the rules of the Christian faith, you'll become well-adjusted, and compared to the non-believers who are not well-adjusted, you'll have a better life. We're not adding it all up for right here, but right here, you are feeling the pleasantness, you are feeling the blessing, you are feeling the rejoicing, but the deliverance is something more. This is, you'll see it on the left-hand side, Acts 2.25, this is Peter's Pentecost sermon, and he says, quoting Psalm 16, for David says concerning him, and this is the Septuagint rendering, um, if you're wondering about the difference, I saw the Lord always before me, that's starting with verse 8 in Psalm 16, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken, therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, and moreover my flesh will dwell in hope, for thou wilt not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let thy holy one see corruption. Thou hast made me known, made known to me the ways of life. Thou wilt make me full of gladness in thy presence. And he is preaching about the death and resurrection of Christ. Our deliverance has come from Zion. Our deliverance, our path to this, the, the, the ground of it all. Oh, you could try to have a bunch of you know, efficient moralizing rules. You could try to become a Buddhist or a Confucianist and, and, and follow good proverbs and epigrams for treating man a certain way. But there's more deliverance to this than merely they're unrighteous, we're righteous. More than we're just running away to our God as a refuge to, to, to hide in his temple or tabernacle away from the rest of the world. We have deliverance. We have deliverance that, not, again, is not just bringing forgiveness and life eternal. It's not just bringing forgiveness and life eternal. It's bringing forgiveness, life eternal, and pleasant places. Path of life, the fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. Keep in mind that, that who you are becoming... You don't get to be, you know, if you're kind of a pessimist introvert, you know, you don't get to say, well, you know, I've got enough verses that tells me how awful the world is. Yes, you do. And it's those, it's those extroverts who are always upbeat and sanguine about life. And you don't have to be that way, or sanguines are... You know, we're, not, we're not talking about personality types here. We're just talking about if you are made into what God expects all men and women to be, you have a blessing. You dwell in a blessing. You can't even imagine being in that blessing and not rejoicing. If you had this blessing, the kind of life that could dwell on his holy hill, even that brief description, let alone the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, you'd be standing there with your coffee cup in the sunrise saying unthinkable things that kids don't like. What a country. What a God. What a salvation. Some of you have enjoyed that when you've, when you've realized you've, you've crossed the, the frontier of the wrong notion of how Christianity works and you confess your sins and you get right with him and join the Lord. And you can't even understand why you're joyful. You just are. 
your heart glad, your soul rejoicing, your body dwelling secure. I want you to think that your chosen portion and cup is like that oasis that the pleasant places where your lines fall. I think it's I think the reference to the lines falling is is tent uh, tent lines because everything in the Middle East had to be staked out pretty aggressively. Your lines falling in pleasant places. It's like coming across the best campsite ever. That's all like soft spongy moss. And nobody close and a great grill. It's an oasis. It's a temple. Not in, in some kind of denial of what the world is like. It's complete admission. You stand with God with his view about the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. You see the sin. You know what it is. But you also know what you have. You have a state of pleasantness. If you don't have that state of pleasantness, in spite of the way the world is, the calamity that besets your life, take it up with him. It's he who needs to instruct you. It's his grace that you need to find. Let God become this delight. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're very grateful that it's not just freedom from sin, it's not just life eternal. It's what a life. Fellowship of the saints, dwelling with the righteous. Having you define our world for us, the pleasure of thinking clearly. We'd ask that you'd bless us all in these things as we pursue them, that we'd rejoice in the touch you have had on our lives. It would become the best of people that the world would know that your son has died and been raised. In your son's name we pray. Amen.